This is a shir on Likuti Sichas, Chelik Yudzain, the Sicha of Bahar, and Lag Ba'omer. Leighton Minik. So, according to the Minik that we learned for Kiyavis in the Shabbases between Pesach and Shavuos, every Shabbos a different parak is learned, so it comes out that in many years, like in this year, and in this, the, the year that Rebbe said the Sicha, it was the year of Tavshin Lamed Ches, 1978. And this year, in 2022, it's also that way, that the Shabbos of Bahar, we learn the fourth Perek of Pirkei Avis. So this coming Shabbos. Since all the Inyanim of Torah and customs, Minhagi Yisrael, which learning Pirkei Avis is a Minhag, since they're all exact, so we understand that in the fourth Perek, the fourth Perek has a connection with the sedrim, which you're laying on the Shabbos. Certainly, we also know that in certain years, like Ba'ayma falls out in the week of Parshat Baha'i, like in this year. And like we know, says in the Sefer of Shalosh, Neluch Sabris, Rabbi Shaya Levi Horowitz, he writes in his book, he's several hundred years ago, pre-Bashamtev, he says that every Yomtev has a connection with the Parsha of the week in which that Yomtev falls. Although, you would think, I mean, uh, it's just arbitrary. It just happens to fall. Lagba Ima happens to fall Spash Bahar. But in general, about the Yom Tevim and the Sedras that they fall, the Shalah says that they're connected. So we understand Lagba Ima has a connection to Pashas Bahar. And if that's the case, then it also would have a connection to what we do additionally on Pashas Bahar, which is reading the fourth parak of Pirkei So Taka, we find that, uh, just by the way, there have notes in a footnote that in Chutzlar to read Bahar, in Eretz Yisrael, reading Bukhukesar. So we find in this week's Perek, Perek Dalet, in the 13th Mishnah, and by the way, there's a footnote here, and the Rebbe says that it's the 13th Mishnah, the way the Alter Rebbe divides the Mishnayas. Bichlal, the Rebbe brings from the Shara Kailal, who says that could be the reason the Alter Rebbe wrote the Pirkei Ovis in his Siddur, is because there's various um, either errors or various different Nuschois, and how the Mishnayas are divided up. And so the Alter Rebbe wanted to establish the proper, the correct girsa, so even in the way the Mishnais are, 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 are divided up. So here is Mishni Yud Gimel. It's important, we're pointing out Mishni Yud Gimel. At the end of the Sikha, the Rebbe is going to derive something from the fact that it's uh, the 13th Mission, not the 12th. And it's a Maimar of Shimon Yechai. What is the 13th Mission in Pergalim? Shloi Shakir There are three crowns that adorn a person. In other words, three things that a person can do, and he becomes uh, embellished and uh, enhanced through them. One is Keser Torah, the crown of Torah. When a person learns Torah, he now is, is adorned with Torah. Keser Kona, the crown of being a Kohen, that, of course, can only come by being born as a Kohen. Keser Malchus, and the crown of royalty. Also, you have to be from the king of David. But these are things that create an enhancement to the person. And then there's a fourth one. On top of those three, the crown of a good name is on top of them all. In other words... It's more important than them all, and you need the good name in conjunction with them all. So, Lag Ba'imer is the day of passing of the Rabbi Shimon Yechoi. And here it's a Maimer of Rabbi Shimon Yechoi. Just by the way, never points out, in our, in our Pirkei Ovis, it just says Rabbi Shimon. So, we know that Stam Rabbi Shimon, when it just says generally Rabbi Shimon without any uh, addition to the name, it's Rabbi Shimon Yechoi. But here the Rebbe quotes in a footnote that if you look in the Yalkut Shimoni, this Maimer 
It's actually bought in the name, not just Rav Shimon, it explicitly says Rav Shimon Yichai. And we could say that the fact that of so many sayings of Shimon Yechoi, this one was chosen, how many sayings are there? The Alter Rebbe says in the Kutatet, in every single parak of the Mesechtas of the Shas, of the whole Talmud, Rav Shimon is mentioned even in the tractates of Kalim and Goyim, in the tractates of, of Taharis. So there's so many figure out how many prokim there are in Mishnayis and all the six books of Mishnah, that's how many times at least Rabbi Shimon Yechoi is mentioned. But of all of his teachings, the one that's taught close to the day of his passing, where it says about, actually it's taught about Rabbi Shimon Yechoi's passing, that uh, the Rabbi Tzitani about that, that um, the Zohar says that on the day of a passing, um, Day of a passing, uh, this is quoted from the Lashon Al Terebe in Simchav Zayin, in Gersa Kedesh. And day of a person's passing, that's when all of his deeds and all of his Torah and his, whatever he's achieved in serving Hashem throughout his life have a, have a, uh, have an, an, an ascent and they become wholesome and complete. So, which would tell us that learning this statement, if this statement of Shemir Yechai was the one that was implanted into chapter 4, which is read on the week of Lagbaimer, which is the wholesome and complete Aliyah of Rishim Yechoi, this teaching is going to sum up something very general about Rishim Yechoi's life. Base. In the general teaching of our Sedra, we find two extremes. The Sedra starts with the mitzvah of Shemitah. And Shemitah has its fulfillment in Eretz Yisrael. Bnei Yisrael, when they come into the settled land, and they have to live a life according to nature. How natural is that life? We know that Torah forewarns and says, Oh, when, when they will ask, when you will ask, what will we eat on the seventh year if we can't work the ground? How are we going to fulfill the mitzvah of Shemitah, the mitzvah of having the land rest for the seventh year? Now that means that the Bnei Yisrael have come in really into a natural state of being. When you're living in the Midbar, you're living with the manna from heaven, you don't ask, what are we going to eat? <laughs> it's miraculous. But here, they're going to go into a settled land. And more than that, when you follow the order of the parshas, the topics of this uh, book of Bahar, this Sedra of Bahar, it says how there's a descent. If we don't listen to Hashem, so you can fall so low that a Jew may fall so low that he's sold to a non-Jewish owner. And he's even sold to somebody who's involved or a, uh, um, a proprietor somebody who runs idolatry. And he's being sold to be some kind of a help to that idolatrous home. And that is, Titus says, he has to still keep Shabbos, he's not allowed to be idolatrous. From the fact that Titus says he has to, Rashi points out there at the end of the parasha, because you may think this kind of a servant who's been so demeaned, and he's not been able to retain even being employed in a Jewish home, and he's been employed now by a non-Jewish and idolatrous person, it may, you may think that he's reached such a low state that 
maybe he's owned by the non-Jew and he has obligations to do what the non-Jew expects of him, just like the non-Jew doesn't keep Shabbos, maybe he has to give his work hours on Shabbos as well. The, the, it's not like that. The Torah says not. But the fact that the Torah has to say not tells you that this is somebody who's really sunken low on the totem pole of, 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 of uh, his, his freedom and of his being able to express his Yiddishkeit properly. On the other hand, this is all part of a parsha that's called the mountain of Sinai. And here there's two words in Yiddish. An uf un It's an uplifted and an elevated, I'm not sure, I'm sure the Yiddish experts will be able to say what's the difference between an uf un I'm sorry I didn't look that up or ask uh, somebody expert in Yiddish. At any rate, the mountain of Sinai is, is an elevated and, 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 and higher place, physically and of course spiritually, it's where the, the, the giving of the Torah was, took place. And the Yidin at that time were at their best. They were higher than world. Even much more than being in, the, in, in, uh, uh, in, than being in, uh, in the desert even. Now, even the desert wasn't a place of you know, settlement. But the being on the mountain of Sinai was like ooh, way up there in terms of level. And on the other hand, we're talking about going into a land, a very settled land, where you have to ask, if we keep them Shemitah, what are we going to eat? And possible for a Jew to get sold even to an idolatrous house. And the explanation here is that this is exactly the point. The Tachlis, the point of Matan Torah is not that Jews should stay at the mountain, up there, spiritual, on the mountain of Sinai, and be totally disconnected, disenfranchised from the world. No. They need to go and live in a natural life, into a settled land, into a natural order of, uh, of living. And that kind of life, which leaves room for possibly falling so low that uh, you could even, a Jew could even consider maybe he's obligated to serve a master in the way the master expects, and precluding Shabbos and, and idolatry. So the message is, no, that when you have the power of being imbued by Har Sinai, what you got at the mountain of Sinai, and Hashem vested that kind of uh, holiness and sanctity in you, that's meant to power you to live in a life of nature and overcome falling low. And even though the Torah does tell us that we're not allowed to rely on a miracle, and that's why the Torah itself says, it could be you will ask. Actually, it doesn't say it could be. It says, when you will ask, what will we eat if we're not plowing and, and sowing and reaping on the seventh year? But the Torah doesn't want you to stay with the question. The Torah gives the power to be able to overcome that physical um, hesitation. And the Torah says, you know what the answer is? I'm going to, within nature, implant in the sixth year, three years of, of growth. Before you even come to the seventh year, you have to run. I'm getting ready, going to implant the blessing that's going to carry you over those that seventh year. And also somebody who is enslaved to a, a master who's idolatrous. And as we said, the person may be at such a low level and say, maybe I also need to, because of my obligation to my master, engage in certain things that a Jew usually shouldn't engage in. But the Torah doesn't go there. The Torah says, we're saying that there could be such a thought, but the Torah right away says, for once, it says, you're not allowed to do that in, in your land. A Jew's not allowed to be allowed to fall to that level, if he is sold to an idolatrous place, he's not allowed to do idolatry, he's not allowed to work in Shabbos, he's not allowed to marry somebody he's not allowed to marry. 
In other words, when it comes to a Yid and his relationship to Yiddish guy, nothing, even if he's a servant, that doesn't have any power. And that's really what the Shemayi Chai was saying. He was saying there's three crowns, and the crown of good deeds, the crown of a good name, sits on top of them all. What's a good name? Shame to a good name that a Jew has, a reputation, a name, a good, good energy is when he does good deeds. Maisim Tev, this is a reference to good deeds, Maisim Tev. Shimon Echai, on the one hand, was somebody whose Teira was his occupation. Teira say um His Teira was his full-time occupation. And Rabbi Shimon Echai and his friends are brought as examples in the Gemara of those that their full, full-time occupation is learning Teira. Nonetheless, says Rabbi Shimon Echai, notwithstanding the great virtue and advantage of study of Torah and in Torah itself the great we talked about the crown of Torah in other words somebody who's really achieved excellence in Torah nonetheless and in quality and in quantity that he, this is his full time occupation nonetheless the crown of good deeds is, surpasses that needs to be on top of that because the ultimate purpose of Torah is to lead to good deeds because that's what creates a change in the world. And the ultimate is to create a change in the world. Gimel. We need explanation though. All is good when we're talking about the majority of the world, of the Yiddish world, that don't have Teda as their full-time occupation. And their main full-time occupation is not Teda, as our Chazal tell us that many wanted to do like Rabbi Shmuel, which is to learn and to work, and it did work for them. Many tried to do that like Shimei Yechoi, just learning, it didn't work. So most of the Jewish community belongs to the group of people that are called Marei Uvdin Tamim, people of good deeds. So we can understand why for them, the crown of good deeds, Kesha Shem is a greater virtue than the crown of Torah, because that's where their, their, their full expression is. They're not full-time studiers. But how can you say that Rabbi Shimon Yechai, who his full-time occupation is Teda, and he was a student of Rabbi Akiva, who Rabbi Akiva actually says, in the debate, which is bigger, Talmud Godel or Maise Godel, is study greater or deed greater? Rabbi Akiva said, study is greater. Rabbi Shimon Yechai is his prize student. So how could it be that Rabbi Shimon Yechai would hold that that the crown of good deeds, of a good name, that good deeds is more important, surpasses the crown of Teda? And even though we understand, of course we understand, even according to Rabbi Shimei who Torah is his main occupation, just Torah is not enough. Obviously there has to be good deeds. Like the Lush and the Gemara in Yishalmi says, does not Rabbi Shimei agree that you have to interrupt from Torah to make a sukkah? Of course, you can't not fulfill the mitzvahs. But that we would say means that you're just not allowed to have the lacking of mitzvahs. In other words, if you don't have mitzvahs, there's something missing. So you can't have that. But still in all, I mean, just like somebody who's called a, a, a person of good deeds, he also has to learn Torah, because otherwise he's lacking in the other side. At least he has to learn once in the morning, once in the evening. But how could that explain? So obviously there still needs to be Maisa, but to make that the Eulal Gabayim, to make that the thing that surpasses even learning Torah, for Ibshim and Yechoi, who's a full-time Torah scholar, it seems like, and, and a student of Rabbi Akiva who says, Talmud Gadol, the main thing is learning? How does that work? So the Khair would be able to say that this will be understood through the action of Shalmin we brought. 
The Gemara asks, the asks, and does not the B'shimun Yechai agree that you have to interrupt to make a sukkah? And then the Rishalmi says, another question, doesn't the B'shimun Yechai hold that somebody who studies in order to fulfill is praiseworthy, but somebody who studies not in order to fulfill the deed of the mitzvah, better that he wouldn't have been created. In other words, there's something really lacking in studying without intention to fulfill, without fulfilling. So from this is understood that the reason why you have to interrupt to make a sukkah is not just because you need the completion, because it would be lacking in his spiritual status if you didn't have a sukkah. But more than that, this is actually the fulfillment of the learning. The learning is in order to impact the world by the mitzvah of a sukkah. Ah, so when we say this this way, since the purpose of the, since the agenda, the, 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 the true agenda is changing the world, is doing mitzvahs, and that's the purpose of the learning, so from this we can understand that it has an even greater advantage, in some sense, over the actual learning. However, really, truthfully, the, the svara, the, this line of reasoning is exactly opposite. The fact that you have to interrupt to do a mitzvah is not because the mitzvah has to be done, but it's because the Torah needs to be done properly. Isn't that what we just said? If you learn without doing, you didn't do the learning properly. So it means the learning is most important. And as spoken about once in great length, about the Lashon of the Al-Tarebbe and Hilchas Tamater, the last time in the language, he says, when he says how you um, have to interrupt for, from learning Torah to do a mitzvah that can't be done by others, so if the mitzvah be done by others, you don't interrupt. But if it can't be done by others, you have to interrupt. Why? Because this is the whole meaning of the person. This is the whole agenda of the person. Like our sage just said, the tachlis of chachma, the purpose of wisdom is tshuva ma'asim is return to Hashem and good deeds. And if you're not doing the mitzvah that can't be done by anybody else, if it can be done by somebody else, you don't have to interrupt. But if it can't be done by somebody else, it means your learning was lacking. And what the Alter Rebbe is trying to explain to us there is that the fact that you have to interrupt your learning to do a mitzvah is because that's the full purpose and outcome of chachma, of wisdom. It's not that it should stay in the realm of the esoteric of the wisdom. It needs to be brought down into action. And therefore, if you learned and then a mitzvah that couldn't be done by somebody else comes your way and you don't do it, it means you learned without really in- intending to fulfill. That means your learning was lacking. So... It's not that, that, the, that the agenda is the mitzvah, according to what we're saying now. The agenda is the learning. But for the learning to be a complete learning, it has to be a learning that has bearing and gets expressed in action. Otherwise, the learning is not real learning. It's just lip service. So that would mean to say that really, maizim toivim, good deeds, they may be the, the, the outcome of learning, but that's because it has to show that the learning was complete. So again, we have a question. Why does Abshim Yechai say that the Kesashem, the crown of a good name, the crown of good deeds, stands higher than everything, stands higher than Taylor? No, it's just, it's just a, a necessary um, uh, outcome of Taylor to show that the Taylor was correct, was, was truly learned, but it's not more important. So hey, so the explanation is we're going to change that a little bit. Since the intention of the creation of the world is to make the world a dwelling place for Hashem, so therefore we understand it's different than what we just presented first. It's truly that every, all the ways of serving Hashem in the world are required in order to make the world a divine place. Even things that don't look like they're impacting the world, they're, they're necessary. Not just doing mitzvahs. Doing mitzvahs, we see that we impact the world. We do, we do actual deeds here in this world. But even study of Torah, even studying Torah to the extreme that the Torah is the only occupation of the person, 
is in order to make the world. It's the intention is to impact the world, to make the world a dwelling place for Hashem. One of the explanations is, how could learning Torah as a full-time occupation be changing the world? We know the rule that somebody who's tied up, somebody who's bound up, he's imprisoned, he can't release himself. I mean, Houdini was there. And that's why Houdini is such a big thing, because he uh, somehow was able to untie himself. But usually a person can untie himself, and even he. It was probably tricks, right? A person can untie himself. So if Yidin would only have the way of serving Hashem from impacting the world while in the world, so then they wouldn't be able to refine the world and elevate the world from its concealment, because they're in it. That's why they also need to have, there needs to be in the Jewish community the concept of, of, of divestment from the world, of being not in the world, of being elevated to being higher than the world and the subsequent concealment that the world brings with it, to be totally connected with Hashem through Torah. And the power for that is through the fact that they're the concept of these people that are full-time studying. When we say full-time studying, it's not just, uh, that's, you know, maybe he's, he's going uh, every day to study in the kolo. That's great, but full-time study means that nothing else do they do, really. Like, uh, like it's, this, is, this is their whole life and everything. It's a, it's a high level. I'm sure there must be some people like that today, but I'm just saying it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's a high level. So, the, the koyach, the power for remaining aloof from the world in order to be able to affect the world and not get caught up in the concealment that the world presents is, needs to be, that, that concept needs to be achieved by the entire Jewish community, also by those that are called people of good deeds, that they're out there in the world. And it also has to be achieved also in the times when um, when they study, uh, when they have to study Torah. By the way, they also have to study Torah one, once in the morning, once in the evening. But when they study, their learning should be in the same quality, in the same nature, like somebody has no other occupation, no other interest, and therefore, puts that in brackets, no other worries. If you have no other occupation, then you have no other worries. Why well, we have worries about? Maybe the guy's not going to show up at the meeting. Maybe the bank's going to bounce. If nothing else but Torah is on a person's mind, he doesn't have any worries from anything else either. He only has the worries. Maybe he didn't understand. He wants to understand the question, the answer. Yeah. All he has is limited Torah. So, basically, the, 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 in order for, for the entire Jewish community to have a, 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 a to be able to, to stay a little bit above the world so that they can elevate the world, they need to have this concept within the community of somebody, of people that Torah is the only occupation. Vav. In order that a Yid who's Torah is all occupation should be able to leave studying and be able to also do his duty to teach other Yidin. So it's not enough for the full-time occupational Torah study to just think about teaching others when that actually starts to happen. Because what happens is if a person is constantly involved only in learning, that's the only interest, that's the only thing on his mind. So it could be that when the time comes to, to go and, and teach somebody else, he won't, uh, who's not on his level, who he's not going to gain from in, a, in, in an obvious way, could be he's not going to be able to move modes, to switch modes. Um, that's why this 
study of Torah itself has to be with a mindfulness, with an intention that the purpose of this studying is in order to achieve something in the world. In other words, to make a difference for others. So he may not be directly, uh, his good deeds of the full-time Torah study may not be uh, planting and harvesting. That's not his thing. But it will be being involved in motivating and teaching those that are involved in the world. But in order to be able to do that, need to first be mindful of the fact that that's the reason of your learning. The reason of your learning is to make the world a, a, a dwelling place for Hashem. And then, obviously, when you need to teach somebody else that that's part of making the world, impacting the world. Similar to what it says, square brackets here, about Rabbi Akiva, that there were four people that went into the very esoteric journey of God's uh, secrets. It's called the paradise, into the orchard, conceptually. And three were affected negatively. Rabbi Akiva is the only one who was nichnas b'shalom v'yotr He went in peacefully, came out peacefully. The other ones went in, and they didn't go out peacefully. But it doesn't say they went in peacefully. It says they went into the paradise, into the orchard. So we can learn from the fact that the Gemara identifies Rabbi Akiva's entry, that nichnas b'shalom, he went in in peace. Yotr v'shalom came out in peace. It doesn't just say he went into the orchard and he came out in peace. It says he went in in peace. That tells us that already when he was going into this tremendously rapturous and ecstatic experience of experiencing God, and he knew he's going to exit the world on some level, he went in with shalom, he went in with peace, he went in with a wholesomeness knowing that he needs to come back out. And so the experience of the enrapturement is in order to become a more inspired Jew when he comes out and engage in the world. And so he was grounded when he went in. According to this, we can also understand what the Rishalmi says about interrupting for learning Torah. It says, even somebody whose Torah is full occupation, he interrupts for doing a mitzvah. Why? Um, because we can say that what the, what the Rishalmi is saying, Rishalmi says it in two prongs, you know, two, two, two phase. Doesn't Rabbi Shimon say that you have to interrupt studying Torah to do a, make sure to build a sukkah? And doesn't Rabbi Shimon say that somebody who learns Torah without intention to fulfill his Torah is, is not good? So what the Gemara is saying here in this two-pronged approach is not just that in actuality, factually, he has to uh, stop making a sukkah. And not just that the ultimate purpose of the learning needs to be expressed in deed. No. But what we're saying here is that the actual learning is in order to do. In other words, in the learning, there needs to be an overarching Intention that it's the learning is to fulfill Hashem's intention for the world to change the world, which is done by doing mitzvahs. Because otherwise, if that's not your intention when you're learning, then it's possible that you won't be able to pull yourself away from the learning when the time comes to do what you what, what the Torah tells you to do. Zion. We could, however, ask, all is well when we're talking about somebody who's learning without the learning being a full application, being his full occupation. When a person is not a person is not totally uh, divested from the world. So we can understand how while the learning itself you have intention, even though now I'm going and not involving in rectifying the world, I'm going to go now and jump, dive into Torah. We can understand how that kind of person can say, but the diving into Torah is with the agenda to be impacting the world to make it a dwelling place for Hashem. However, since we're talking about somebody who's Torah is his whole occupation, how can he, when he's learning to that intensity, also be thinking about 
how to help those who are, who are involved in the world. I was going to teach Jews who are plowing and sowing. It, it seems to be a, 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 it seems to be a paradox. It, to be, it would be a conflict here. So the explanation is, the fact that the, 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 the feeling one has to escape the world, to run to God and, and just be in, in, in total enrapturement, the fact that that is in conflict with the opposite notion of being in the world and doing the mitzvahs in the world and changing the world, the, the, the conflict between the two, the, the opposition between the two, is only when you're talking about the, 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 the categorizations that are endemic, that, that are part of who we are, created beings. If, however, when you're talking about standing from Hashem's vantage point, in other words, if you're bottle, a person is totally subservient to Hashem, and his only thing he wants to do is do what Hashem wants, then whether it's to escape into an ecstasy from the world, or it's to engage in tedious changing of the world in the world, it's the same. What does Hashem want? And that's what I do. Another example. This is an interesting example. I'm not sure. Um, fascinating example. I read this a few times. Let's see if we understand this. When we talk about Shluchay Shal Adam Kemaisei, of course, this is very dear to us because, you know, thank God Hashem has given us the opportunity to be Shluchim. We say the shliach of a person is like him. Or Evid Melech Melech, the servant of a king, is really the king. He has all the power vested in him because he's doing, he's nothing but doing what the king wants. A shliach of a person, when he's fully vested in the shliach, is nothing but an extension of the person who sent him. So now there's two aspects of this shliach. There's times when he's doing things that really are beyond him. They're fully with the power on the level of the one who sent him. And then there may be other times when he's doing things that even were he not to be a shliach, they're at his level. So his representation of the mishaleach, though, that when he's kamaisai, if his, if his total uh, um, uh, mindset is, I am merely, not merely, I am solely a representative of the one who sent me. Then there's really no difference when he's doing something that's representative fully of the one who sent him because he would be up to do such a thing, or when he's doing something that could have been representative of him. But that's not the feeling, because anyway, there's no him. He's an extension. He's like the one who sent him. More than that, when we talk about the atzmos of Hashem, the essence of Hashem, Hashem, the essence of Hashem is the fact is that there's, there's opposites there that can coexist. He, Hashem can, can, can have opposites coexist within him. He's, every, he's, he's, he's omnipotent. So you can have both things at the same time, both enrapturement and involvement in the world. And therefore, a person learns in a way that the third is his full occupation and he's learning that way because he's enjoying it as well. So if it's only he's learning because he's enjoying it, so at that same time you can't expect him to be vested in the world if he's doing it from his enjoyment. If he's, however, learning Torah because he wants to fulfill the intention of Hashem, and Hashem is the atzmus, his essence, wants to make a dwelling place in this world. 
So then he can have both things, co- both opposites coexisting at the same time. He could be totally vested in Teda at the same time. He can be mindful and totally permeated with the knowledge that the purpose of his learning is in order to extend himself, lower himself to be learning with those that are involved in the world. It's all about, even his enrapturement is only just doing what Hashem wants. You want me to, to run to cleave to you? I'm doing that now. You want me to be mindful of the fact that I need to make sure to leave at the appropriate time and go and teach others and affect the world? I'm yours, Hashem, whatever you want. This concept, Ches, this concept we find by Rashi, Shemir, I think, what it says, going out of the cave, after being there for 12 years, and seeing how people are just involved in mundane things, he said, how can it be that they're leaving eternal life, Manichim they're leaving eternal life, they're busying themselves with temporary life. And wherever they would, li- wherever they would look, Rabbi Shimon and his son, would burn up, because there was such intensity, how could you be, how could you be missing the point and dealing with, with temporary life? Only Dafka after thirteen in the thirteenth year, wherever they looked, so Rabbi Eliezer would burn, but Rabbi Shimon, his father, would heal. And he told his father, he told his son, Rabbi Shimon told his son, Pini Daila for the world it's enough for me and you. What does that mean? It's enough for the world. He meant it's enough for the world of those that study Torah, me and you. In other words, it's not that it's enough for the world that just you and I are learning Torah. Me and you are learning Torah. And other people won't learn Torah. No. He's saying it's enough even for the Torah learners that me and you are fully vested in Torah. Torah is our sole occupation. That's going to be enough for the world to be able to have this notion to be able to be uplifted for the world. Remember we said that if everybody is only Invested in changing the world and involved in that, there's a danger that may be that you can't untie yourself. You maybe get caught up in the concealment. So there needs to be this this movement, this representation in the world of aloofness, of of, of standing higher than the world. Reb Shimon Yochai said, "Isan, me and you, we can take care of that for those that are, are studying Torah, but they're studying Torah with engagement in the world." And we can say, says that ever that this is also. Got to do with the difference between 12 and 13 years. The, the number 12 speaks about Ishtalshus. First of all, there's the 12 months of the year. There's also a concept in Kabbalah called the 12 Yudbeis Gevule Alachsen, the 12 borders of um, Alachsen is diagonal. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Uh, a famous concept in Kabbalah, I'm sure you can easily find it out. 13, so 12, 12 that's just 12 months. That's not nature. 13 is higher than Ishtashas, higher than nature. I'm sure you know that uh, the Rebbe says in Ahura 60, the Midasadachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy, they are higher than Ishtashas. And also we have uh, in a leap year, right? Also, uh, the Tzermach Tzedek speaks about the fact that there's 13 months. So when we talk about 12, and other we talk about the, the standard chain of descent of the world, Ishtashas, in that place, Ratzay and Shuv, running from the world and being engaged in the world, they're opposites. That's why Rabbi Shimon Yechoi is in his 12th year in the cave. He comes out and says, guys, you're, 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 you're missing the point. You're dealing with temporary life instead of permanent life. It, at that stage, in the stage of 12, there's no joining between permanent life and temporary life. They're two, they're two opposites. Ah, 
However, when you come to the level of 13, that's when we have Rabbi Shima being able to heal. In other words, that even though they're engaging and they're meeting with people that are not separate from the world, and Rabbi Shema Yechoi is not separate from the world, he can heal the world, the, the sickness of the world, and he can heal. In other words, Rabbi Shema Yechoi, at that level of 13, it's, there's no, he reaches such a high level beyond the Ishtalshlos, there's no, there's no stira. They can be plowing and, and sowing, and Rabbi Shema Yechoi, while retaining his status of above world, but he, that's not a conflict with world, because they're both part of Hashem's omnipotence, and they're both part of Hashem's intention to have a world where you have above, you have Rotsu, and you have Shub, and they join. Test. This is also an explanation of the fact that Abishuma says, that the crown of a good name is, on, is the most important thing. This means, the concept of good deeds, in learning to it itself, in other words, to be learning with others, what, you hear this, what's the good deeds of learning? Good deeds, usually we say it's giving a poor person bread. But there's a good deed within Limitatera, that is learning with others. So he says, even by somebody who the crown of Torah is his crown, they need to have this concept of being mindful that they need to share with those that are involved in the world, learn with others. And that's why Kesa Shem Tev, it says, goes on top of them all. When in addition to his own learning for himself in a way that he truly can be called somebody who has Kesa Tev, the crown of Tev. In other words, Tev is his soul occupation. When he also on top of that has the Kesa, the crown of giving to others. Then he's truly Euler. He, over, he, he, he resides above them. He has a, a, an ascent. And that's when the true purpose of his learning Torah comes to fruition. Because remember, even the learning Torah, the true reason for that is to create a change in the world. So learning Torah and being mindful to learn with others that are, even while you yourself, even while the Torah of is not involved in the world, but those others are, learning with them, that's the Maisim Tevin that brings the learning to its full oila, to its full ascent. It says here that ever according to it, in the way of Remez, uh, this in a way of hint that's why this teaching of Rabbi Shem is in the 13th Mishnah to tell us that the Indian of Kesa Shem has to do with higher than Ishtashos has to do with three, with 13 now we'll understand how this is connected with Lagba in Meriyud says in the Zayar that in the day of the passing of Rabbi Shem he said Besides the fact that he himself reached the highest levels, he also revealed to his students holy things, milin kadishin delay galiyanad hashta, holy things that he didn't reveal till now. This is this comes out fitting in with the general achievement, the general virtue of Shemiyachai regards to the secrets of Torah. Other Tanoim, other teachers of the Mishnah, which they were engaged in the secrets of Torah. They didn't teach the secrets of Torah to others. Rav Shem and Yechoi's concept, which his Indian was joining Sasim and Galit, joining the hidden and the revealed, that part of Torah which is usually a secret, because it's higher than revelation in the world, he brought it down to a revelation. And you could say that's similar to the concept we spoke about, that's connecting Chaye Eilam and Chaye Shok. 
permanent life and temporary life. He was able to join the two. So this connection, Yudalef, this connection of higher than world with being in world, that's also the point of Parshish Bahar. In this Parsha, we have emphasized that even when somebody's going to be dealing with the earth and with nature, at the same time, you have to remember, he's coming from the mountain of Sinai. He's Har uh, Sinai, that's higher than world, higher than nature. And not just that, telling us about the world is a part of the portion of Bahar. In other words, part of fulfilling the Bahar mandate, the Sinai mandate, the higher than world mandate, is getting into the world and do what you have to do. And that's the way it's expressed in the beginning of the Parsha which includes the whole Parsha, really, and the end of the Parsha, which everything goes after the end. In the beginning of the Parsha, we speak about the law of Shemitah, that the land has to remain resting and fallow for the year. What, is, what does that mean? That means that a Yid, even when he's busy, even when his occupation is to work in the, in the earth, and even if it's in a way where he's so earthly that he'll ask the question, so if we rest on the seventh, what are we going to eat? In other words, he's... Is, is fully part of the natural experience. Nonetheless, we tell even this guy, you're working in a natural place and you have the question, what we eat? But the seventh year is going to be Shabbos. And then you're going to be busy just with Harsin, I think, just with learning Torah. Without any... No worries. There's nothing you can do about your worries, so you have no worries. You can't go and fix your field. And in a, in a, in a, in a more subtler touch, by the Jew, when that year of the Shemitah, it says it's a Shabbos Lashem, he feels the higher than nature aspect that is vested in the world. So that's how we have to be in the world and be higher than the world at the same time. And the end of the Seder is even greater Chiddush. Remember, we're going first to general Chiddush, now we're going even greater Chiddush. Even somebody who's sold to a non-Jew in an idolatrous fashion. What well, that's a descent into the world, into the nature. It's even it's 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 a further descent into nature and into earthliness. And he's become even enslaved to an non-Jew, and he may even be thinking, maybe I have to serve my non-Jewish master and do the things I'm not allowed to do, but he's allowed to do. Says the Torah, you're not allowed to do that, and not just not allowed to do that. Hashem says, Ani Hashem, I'm Hashem, and I'm going to pay back reward. In other words, what does it mean when Hashem says, I'm going to give reward? The concept of schar mitzvah, the word of mitzvah, that shows that the godly light that becomes drawn down through doing mitzvahs is going to come in a way that it's comprehensible by the person. Schar means reward. Reward has to be enjoyed. So we're telling this guy who's at the lowest end of the totem pole in the Jewish community, he's been sold to a non-Jewish place of, of, of worship. We say, no, 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 but you can't not fulfill the mitzvahs. You can't do that. You've got to still keep your mitzvahs. And then it says, I'm Hashem, I'm going to pay you reward. Reward means Hashem says, I'm going to give you blissful uh, uh, revelation. That means, and Ani Hashem is higher than nature. means even somebody who's at that low level has the power to raise himself to the level of Hashem. So that tells us whatever situation we're in, don't run away to the mountain. We're always mountain Jews. We, have, we are from Har Sinai. But Hashem wants us in the world. When we're in the world, don't think you're going to be engulfed or drowned in the world. No. You have the power. Even when you're at the bottom level of the totem pole, Hashem says, hey, you can still elevate yourself and elevate your surroundings to be connected with Hashem who's higher than nature. Thank you.